Welcome back to Bodies in the Bayous. I'm Morgan. And I'm Gretchen. This is season three, Back to the Killing Fields. This season, we are revisiting the Texas Killing Fields. In the following episodes, we will cover a broader area. This is in an effort to connect some of the cases covered in season one. We plan to bring to you some of the known serial killers in this broader area that may have murdered some of the women in the Texas Killing Fields. We will also cover some of the victims that we did not cover in season one. Back to the Texas Killing Fields, Season 3, Episode 12, The Golden Girls. So this is a case that we have had for a while now. And um, we really kind of batted this one back and forth because we didn't know how to fit it in and how to kind of um, talk about it. But we really felt like it was important to get the information out there and see if maybe we could help in any way, shape, or form with this case. So this is one, um, when we were researching um, other cases that the Texas City Police Department made us aware of and thought that maybe some renewed public interest in this case might help move it along. And so that's the case of Lena Jean Britt. She was an 84-year-old mother of two daughters, a devoted grandmother. She had lived her entire life in Galveston County, raising her family here. She enjoy, enjoyed traveling, dancing, yard sales, which I enjoy a good yard sale too. Mm -hmm. so. Um and she would host large family gatherings. She loved to cook for everyone. She would make meals for her neighbors because she thought they could use a home-cooked meal. She was the type of woman who would bring cookies to people. They'd stop by, chit-chat with her while she was out in her garden. And she lived at um, 229S east road in west texas city so for people who may not be familiar as familiar with texas city this area of texas city would be closer to the plants mm -hmm. um so she was known to walk every day be friendly stop chit chat with everyone asking how they were on the block some residents referred to her as the watchdog of the block but mostly because she would know if there was anything amiss mm -hmm. Um, and so, but everybody in all honesty needs one of those in their neighborhood. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, she was just the type of person that, um, knew, you know, she would know everybody's children, grandchildren, stop and talk about them and ask about how everybody was doing. Um, but she was not a frail old lady. Uh, she was known to mow her lawn every week. And at 84, that's pretty impressive because in I Texas don't, feet. yeah, in, in Texas, Texas feet. I, I gave up long <laughs> ago. I don't mind my yard. Mm -mm. Um, but early that year, what had happened is her car had actually been broken into several times. And um, she believed that someone had a beef with her and was targeting her. And every time her car was broken into, um, nothing had been stolen. It was just like somebody was kind of messing around with her. But I like when I read this to you, I was like, is it because there was nothing to steal, though? Uh huh. You know, like if somebody was to rummage in my car, like, I don't know 
if I would notice anything being stolen. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, I thought about, not that it's okay, but just, like, kind of thought, like, I think also because it was kind of unusual too, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you're talking about an area of town that yes, there is a a neighborhood there. Um, the houses are, are a little bit farther apart than some of the houses, um, in closer in Texas city, but they, you kind of have to have a reason to be over there. Either you're going over there for the plants, you know, and there is a large amount of traffic going in and out of those neighborhoods for that. or you live there. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you really don't have any reason to be there. No, I definitely think like even on both the streets that we live on, if you go down either one of our streets and we live on opposite ends of Texas City, right. like you're down there for a reason. Yeah. And I definitely this neighborhood is that same thing. If mm-hmm. you're driving around in that neighborhood, you're generally there for a reason. It's not like you're going to the dollar store or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're out of an area that has that type of commercial business when you're back in there. Right. Um, now you may be going in and out of the plants. Um, and so you can get turned around in there looking for the right entrance to maybe the different plants or something like that. But um it's it's not somewhere that I would think that you would be looking for the possibility of hitting several cars. Yeah, but I mean, even if you're a plant worker, most of the time you're going to be in a company truck. So mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's fair to say that it could be just some random plant worker either. You know, because right. you're not you're not driving a regular car into this plant. So if they're getting hit up like that, I would think that it's you know, like a civilian, so to speak. Right. It certainly looked like because, and because other vehicles weren't um, broken into either that it was almost targeted. Mm -hmm. And then that's the other thing that is very unusual about this is that if you kind of think back to that, yeah, you can see how her car would have gotten broken into once. Mrs. Britt was known to visit a neighbor, Mrs. Durham. They would watch TV for the evening, and they enjoyed the Beast Loser, Dancing with the Stars. And then at the end of the evening, she would watch walk home. But oh wait, I have to interrupt you just for like one minor second. So I didn't realize, um, like I thought it was way older than that. You know what yeah. I mean? Because I'm like, the biggest loser. You know, like, we know what that is. Yeah, so this so, was uh, 2010. I guess, yeah. you know, we didn't start with that, but this... Um, this happened in 2010, but if you think about that, when was the last time we saw The Biggest Loser? It's been years. No, Dancing I mean, with the Stars but, is still but that's on. that's when reality TV, like, hit mainstream, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's kind of like, oh my god, yeah, I remember being kind of glued. I mean, your thing is, like, um... Survivor. Yeah, yeah, Survivor, so I'm like, oh, I don't do that, but I do watch fashion shows, so I'm just saying. Well, and I would get to, I get together with my sister-in-law, and we watch Survivor together, and so that's kind of a fun I mean, it's thing. very relatable. Like, this yeah. is very normal, mainstream, but I didn't realize, I, even though it's been 13 years ago right. from when that was happening, but it's just like, oh, my God, that seems so current. It And I think, you know, compared to a lot of the other cases we've covered, this one is very current. Mm-hmm. Um So at the end of the evening, when they were done, um, she would walk home and Mrs. Durham would actually stand outside her door and watch Mrs. Britt walk home. And, you know, so you think about that and you're like, oh, were they worried about her safety? And I think 
you know, when you're talking about an 84 year old woman walking home at night, I think it's more making sure your friend gets home safe, mm-hmm. you know, because anything could happen. It's like a double flicker with a yeah. light, you know, like, you <laughs> exactly. know, the double ring on home lines when they were a thing. Like, it's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So I totally get, I mean, it's so innocent. It's just the innocence of older people looking enjoying that. Yeah. You know? And so having a life, like, she had a life. You and know? it kind of speaks to that neighborhood feeling mm-hmm. that was, was happening there, Absolutely. too. Um, and so the next day and the next couple of days, her everybody noticed that Mrs. Britt seemed to be absent. But they didn't put a whole lot of stock into it because her car was gone, too. And so even though she hadn't told the neighbors that she was leaving, most of them assumed, oh, okay, she must have gone to see her daughter. Um, And her daughter lived in Pasadena, so it was close by by enough. So you would kind of assume that that's the natural thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, if it was planned, she probably would have been like, oh, you want to see me for, like, the next episode? Right. You know, but... It wouldn't be unusual if your kid just showed up and on a whim you went either. Yeah. You know? Or, you know, kind of thinking maybe something happened. And it's not like they're dog sitting either. Right. You know? So, um, but it did, it did seem out of the norm. Probably because she didn't let anybody know. And so the neighbors are kind of noticing that the papers are in her driveway. But again, her car's missing. So, you know, you're thinking she's probably gone somewhere Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't until her daughter showed up around 3 30 p.m on june 7th 2010 to check on her mom because she had not heard from her for a couple of days that anyone thought anything was amiss and at that point in time everybody pretty much is involved in this whole thing of being like oh my gosh something something's wrong um and so her daughter entered the house. There was a strong odor, but she could not see anything and she couldn't get the lights to turn on. So she actually alerted another neighbor in order to borrow a flashlight. Um, her and the neighbor returned to the house. And sadly, it was Mrs. Britt's daughter who had discovered that her mom's body was in the house. She was in a back bedroom under a mattress. She had been dead for several days. And due to decomposition, her death was uh, not... Um, her manner of death was not immediately evident, but there are definitely some signs there that something is wrong. It's not like when they're looking at that situation that they're immediately like, oh, she must have just passed away of old age because the lights are off in the house and the power had actually been physically shut off to the house. The breakers had actually been and that's flipped what- so, like, I read this, we talked about it, and then I knew you were going to bring it up, so I'm just like, oh my gosh. So, for the breakers, for them, somebody to literally trip the breakers, that's physical. Like, they literally went out there and switched them off. So, there's two things with this that that kind of make me wonder, and it's, you know, was it that plan of somebody being like, okay, in order to... In, to have the upper hand that they shut off all the breakers to the house and then went in and attacked her? Or was it the act of turning off the breakers to like maybe hide the fact that something had happened? So you think maybe they could have done it afterwards? 
So when I read some of the newspaper articles, because this did show up in several newspapers, like in Houston and Texas City, um, where they were making reference to the fact that the uh, breakers were actually shut off in order to hide the crime. When I look at this, and again, you know, not an officer or an investigator, but when I look at this, I don't think that that would hide anything. <laughs> I think that would do the exact opposite of what right. they were thinking. Um, because I just don't see how, I mean, unless, you know, people would think, oh, her car's gone and there's no lights on, so therefore she's not there. Okay, can I, like, literally just ask you, like, a stupid, maybe stupid question? If you're trying to, like, cover up a crime and you know the body's going to smell in Texas, would you turn off the breakers? <laughs> I mean, would you just think... I need to make it as cold as possible in here. <laughs> would be would be one way to to do that. So, so this is an odd thing to me. I mean, because yeah, turning off the breakers, even though this was possibly an older home that might not have had central air, so it might have had air conditioning units, that's still going to turn off all power to them. I don't. I look at this and I don't see how this is like a, Post. let me try to yeah. hide my crime. Mm -hmm. I think it's like a pre. That's what I'm thinking mm -hmm. too. These breakers were on, from what I can read, were on the outside of her house, which is where a lot of our breakers are too. It seems to me that that's almost like she will be in the dark. Mm -hmm. And she's older. Yeah. And so it could have been two things. It could have been from Mrs. Durham. We know that her porch light got turned on because that's how Mrs. Durham would know that she was home safe. So the, so as far as we know, she had power when she walked into the house, but then, so is that power so that she wouldn't have the ability to like find the phone or call somebody or, you know, now she's in dark. She doesn't have the ability to, to fight back as easily. It depends on, also, what breakers they tripped. I mean, you know, certain breakers in your homes don't turn off every light. Right. You know, so, like, I know the breakers on the outside of my home are in a different area than the main, you uh -huh. know, so it's just maybe they didn't know. It, it could be. But one of the things that I start to think about is, so, maybe they did know better, though, because if I'm a random person... And I'm going to go in and attack somebody in their home for, say, jewelry or, you know, to rob them, right? So, are you going to take the time to figure out where the breakers are on the back of the house? I don't know. You know, I and mean, that just seems like more work. Because it's not like we all have them in the exact same place. So, you have to figure out where they are and then turn them off. That looks like somebody who knew this home. I think so, too. Because even, like, think about when we were doing my house, right? Mm. And you'd be like, is it off yet? I'm like, it's not off yet. You're like, how about now? Click, 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 click. You know, and I'm like, no, it's still off. <laughs> is it off now? Totally off. Like, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it just... Yeah. I. You know, and then you have them breaking into the car several different times, too. That just doesn't seem like somebody who's targeting her as a stranger. It seems like somebody who might know a little bit more about her. I kind of know her um, maneuvers and yeah. what she does daily. And mm -hmm. yeah, I agree. So it's just one of those things that 
when I look at this, this just doesn't seem like somebody randomly tried to rob a place that they may have thought was empty. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think a place is empty, you're not going to bother to turn off the breakers, you know? Um, So again, um, then of course, you know, the, the question of the car comes in here, what happened to that vehicle? Well, so at basically the time that the detectives are figuring out that Mrs. Britt has been murdered at her house, they're also figuring out that this ties to a case up in Dickinson where they had found out a burned out vehicle or a vehicle that was in the process of being burned behind um, the local like um, community theater. And it turns out that that was uh, Mrs. Britt's car. Her Oldsmobile had actually been discovered a few days before she had been discovered. They hadn't made that connection yet. Isn't that kind of crazy? Usually they find the car after. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just weird. Well, I mean, Dickinson's not a long way away, but, you know, with how burned out this car was, it was, I guess, taking a little while to figure out, you know, who it belonged to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they hadn't quite figured all that out yet. You know, well, which possible maybe they did and they just weren't like they tried to call her and there's no answer, right? Right. I mean, you know, I mean it happened pretty relatively quickly. But again, then that also brings this question of you know, who did this? Because the car is up there in Dickinson and somebody took the time to light on fire. So for some reason somebody wants to hide some sort of evidence in the car. Because if not, why bother? You know, you could have just dropped it off in Dickinson and not even cared. Lighting it on fire probably drew more attention, too, at that point. And that's it. Then, too, so lighting the car on fire, you know that police are going to identify that car at some point in time. That's going to draw police to go to her house Mm -hmm. and discover her. And be like, oh, my God, watch your car on fire. Yeah. And so, and why are the breakers off? (laughs) You know, I mean, it just doesn't seem like these are things that you're doing in order to hide that a crime had happened because this is drawing your attention toward the fact that a crime had happened. Mm-hmm. You know, this car could have been dumped in anybody you had never seen again. <laughs> I mean, now know that. Yeah, that we do. We've reported that, <laughs> you know. Um, later, the medical examiner did determine that her cause of death was due to strangulation. They also said that she had been beaten before she had been murdered. Everyone in the neighborhood was shocked of what had happened to Mrs. Britt. Everyone loved her. Police were quickly to state that they did not believe this was random, stating that Mrs. Britt was targeted. Police believed that items in the house had been gone through, but never released whether or not something was missing other than the car. Many neighbors would wonder if it was possible that she had caught somebody breaking into the car and then tried to confront her. Officers working on this case... The officer working on this case originally was none other than that of Brian Getchus, who we talked about from the Texas Killing Fields fame and the Texas Killing Fields movie. So we've mentioned him a couple more times, but, you know, when you get into these old cases in Texas City, you're going to run across this guy's name. Of course. I mean, he was on the force at the time, you know. And he was pretty much the lead detective. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what kind of happens next is is quite a bit of, you know, trying to figure out, could this case be connected to anything else? 
So a few days after Mrs. Britt was discovered, Mrs. Joyce Mabel Cleveland, 78 years old, was found dead in her southeast home, Houston home. Mrs. Cleveland's neighbor woke up to a noise of barking dogs. When they looked outside, they saw two men um, either entering Mrs. Cleveland's house or kind of round there on the front door, and they didn't recognize those men. Although the um, neighbor who saw this informed another neighbor. And so this was kind of weird, and I was trying to figure this out. I'm thinking that the neighbor who saw these two men was kind of elderly and female also. And so she informed another neighbor and this was a male neighbor who then went to knock on the door. And when the, they didn't get an answer, they called for the police. When the police arrived, they found that Mrs. Cleveland was dead on the living room floor. She had also been beaten and suffered several lacerations and blunt force trauma to the head. So this case, however, was solved. In February of 2011, a Jesse Lee Zachary was charged with murder. However, in the interesting way that crime stories go, Jesse's um, story has many twists and turns. Jesse was earlier in life a paramedic and a fireman. He had a girlfriend. They were expecting a child. And sadly, his girlfriend was gunned down and shot in the back several times. I have to stop you there because I had to read this like four times. Right. Because it doesn't even seem realistic. Like it I know. does almost seem like like a story. Right. And it's sad. Yeah. It's incredibly sad. Jesse was one of the paramedics who arrived at the scene and he actually was the one who ended up working on his wife and she and the unborn child who was within a couple of weeks of being born um, both passed away. At this point in time, Jesse's life really just spins out of control. Um, he gets involved in drinking. He's charged with uh, assault um he's really at that point breaking into houses and breaking into cars and stealing for a living uh he ends up befriending this guy named jason lee mock both him and jason are drinking one night um and because they're drinking they decide that they're too drunk to drive so they're riding around the neighborhood on bicycles um and then for some reason, they decide to steal a truck parked outside the residence of Mrs. Cleveland. Now, the rest of this is kind of from Jesse's perspective. And so Jesse claims that Mock told him that no one was home at the residence because he knew the people who lived there and there should be two cars there and one was missing. He said that Mock then broke into the um, front window and entered the house while Jesse was staying outside. Jesse said he heard a fight inside, next screaming, don't look at me, don't look at my face. Jesse looks through the window and watched as Mock cut uh, Mrs. Mabel Cleveland's throat. Dude, I love you, but if I see something like that that you're doing, I'm out. Yeah. Like, this is weird to me on so many levels i mean i know they're like not as close as maybe you and i are i swear to god though yeah i'm not covering up a crime for you either dude I, i'm gonna i'm physically watching you do something like that yeah um don't worry friend i'm not covering up a crime for you <laughs> dude i'm not even gonna let you keep doing that yeah. i mean 
Well, mm. but we're not going to steal a truck either. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. But if we had to steal a truck, we're not going to murder somebody to do it. So, so in this, Jesse and this Jason are both arrested. Jason, basically, I think, you know, this is like any Law and Order episode. The first one to talk gets the deal. Mm -hmm. Jason talks, blames the whole thing on Jesse, says that it was Jesse who killed her. um, And that Jesse um, was the one who came up with this whole idea. And so Jason does end up with a deal. He ends up being charged with with just burglary of a habitation. And I mean, I'm sorry, Jason ends up with a deal, burglary of the habitation, and Jesse is actually charged with murder. So Jesse also takes a plea bargain in order to get the death penalty off the table. And so he's sentenced to 40 years, and um Jason is sentenced to 17 years. After Jesse is sentenced to prison. He then starts to find out that there was Jason Mock's DNA, Jason Mock's fingerprints, and Jason Mock's shoe prints all found inside the house, and that there was no DNA from Jesse found inside the house. So at this point in time, um, Jesse is fighting to see what can possibly be done about his case. Don't get me wrong, this guy's not exactly you know, a saint either, you know, he did have some prior robbery, did have some prior assaults. There is a little strange caveat here about this guy. Because I've kind of listened to the interviews from him, you know, claiming how um, he is, is completely innocent. And uh, what I would say is, it's not completely innocent, Mm -hmm. you know, you in any were there and watched it. Well, and and pretty much, you know, if you're involved in a crime and that crime leads to murder, you're, it doesn't matter if you had the knife in your hand, you're as guilty as the person who had the knife in your hand. But at the same time, I do see, you know, how it does seem like the justice system didn't quite get this right. Jesse doesn't quite make any friends either because he does end up suing the Harris County prison system. Because during the time that they're keeping him safe in prison because he's charged with this gruesome crime, he's actually suing them because he says he lost muscle mass by staying in a cell by himself and he didn't have enough time in the yard. And when they showed that he refused to go out at the time that he was supposed to go out, he says that's all forged. And we're going to let everybody else kind of make their own decisions about, you know, Jesse as a person. But I do agree that there are some problems with that. Um, Jesse is in prison still today. Probably will be for most of his life. And Jason Mock is actually out at this point. So So, do we want to go into our own personal opinions about this? or I think, you know, I... There's, there's obviously, it's not exactly the greatest way that the justice system on this has has played out for Mrs. Cleveland and her family. That I can agree with. Um, But what does kind of come out here is that there's some very similarities on this case. Um, However, this case is solved. And, um, and so because it's solved, you know, and it's solved kind of, there is DNA, 
I think police moved past them because the DNA probably did not match the suspects that they have. That being said, that makes you think that the Texas City Police Department probably had some sort of DNA mm-hmm. to compare it to because they 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 didn't look any farther at Jesse and Jason Mock. Right. So, but then the other case that we have, that and is, I'm pretty sure if they could have, if they could have found a way that made sense legally, right? Because scientifically of it, and all that, they would have moved forward, right? That much I do have faith in, because there are so many similarities. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and, uh, and they definitely, they're still police. They still want to find justice, you know. Really? Right. And remember where this case came from was the Texas City Police Department saying to us, this case could use some eyes. Mm-hmm. And, and again, we're not dealing with like the 70s and 80s and early 90s where DNA was still very questionable. I mean, right. this is very yeah. scientific. It's pretty much is or isn't yeah. going to match, you know. No. And then a few days after Mrs. Cleveland died, a lady named Miss Julia McElroy, age 71, was murdered on June 17th around 8 p.m. in her home in Baytown, Texas. Mrs. McElroy had been stabbed multiple times in the neck. She was able to reach her phone and call for help, saying that she had been attacked. But by the time police got there, got her to the hospital, she had succumbed to her injuries and died at the hospital. Her vehicle, a green minivan, was also reported missing. It was found three days later in downtown Baytown. Mrs. McElroy was very similar to Mrs. Britt in many ways, as she was everybody's friend in the neighborhood. Everybody living nearby was shocked that this could happen to a neighbor, as their neighbor was neighborhood was quite the quiet family area with no crime and no one had ever reported anything including hearing dogs bark as mrs McLeroy had two small yappy dogs that barked at everyone and we don't know what that's like at all no because we both have a yappy dog mrs McLeroy had uh lived in the area most of her life raising her family in the same house however um, the case was solved quickly on this one, too. August 20th, they arrested Isaac Smith, a neighbor of Mrs. McLeroy. Police said that he was very close to her. Isaac was using drugs at the time, ran out of money to buy drugs, so he left, went back home, and decided to rob her. His DNA was found at the scene. And it's either Isaac's mother or his wife. I'm not 100% sure. But anyway... Um, Angela Smith was actually interviewed by the Houston Chronicle the days after Mrs. McLeroy was found dead, and she stated that she had not heard anything that night, and she believed that no one would hurt Mrs. McLeroy, that she was an incredibly great neighbor, and that the neighborhood would have a hard time without her. So um, it just kind of speaks to how close his family was with her. Mm-hmm. You know, um, although neither of these cases would be connected, Mrs. Britt, and sadly, these cases are they are solved using DNA, and her case remains open today. 
the fact that there were both DNA in both cases, I believe, not that they've released it, but I do believe that there's probably DNA in Mrs. Britt's case, that if somebody knew something that could help solve her case or point her case toward the right person, you know, this is the time to come forward with that information to help out the Texas City Police Department because they would like nothing more than to solve her case. So thanks for joining us today. We always love to hear from our listeners. So please contact us with any questions that you might have. Um, you can reach us on our Facebook page, Bodies in the Bayous. You can always email us at bodiesinbayous at hotmail.com. And don't forget to listen to us wherever you stream your podcasts.